gentlemen, let's broaden our minds. Lawrence. From the Ancient One Studio, this is the Cubic Shenanigans Warhammer Podcast. Welcome to the Cube. <laughs> Hello everyone and welcome to episode 130 of the Cubic Shenanigans Warhammer Podcast. I am your host, Dan. And I'm Brendan. What are we talking about, Brendan? We're continuing where we left off on episode 129. We've got the second half. So we're going to be talking the Dwarden and the Elves, you know, rounding out, you know, the battle tactics and grand strategies, you know, how do you win the game with this army and do the prefacing part of it. If you have not listened to episode 129 yet, please go do so unless you're only interested in the dwarfs and elves part of the Cities of Sigmar battle tome, then stick around. But I would recommend listening to that first half because that is where the meat and potatoes of the rules are. And here where kind of the tricks and those additional units that you can throw at to really put a wrinkle in what will be most, I would imagine, conventional Cities of Sigmar uh, armies that you're going to see on the table in the near or immediate future. And that's the show. Yeah, that's the- yeah. yeah there's a couple of units as I was looking through this, especially in the Dark Elves, it's like, whoa, that's, there's, yeah. there's some so, good so stuff. So don't get me wrong. It. There's some very interesting tech in the back half of this book. Yes, agreed. You know, the front half is where you build the majority of your army, and then this half is where you build in some sneaky little tricks that uh, will catch your opponents off guard that they're going to have to plan, and they're both in the elf and the dwarden half of the book. Yes, very cool. And two totally different approaches to the game, too, with the dwarves and the elves. You know, each one, I think, has a really strong purpose in terms of the strong units you know what it can do so it'll be very interesting and i'm looking forward to going over this with you so that's it for this episode and with that it is time for whispers from the warp hello my name is inigo montoya you killed my father prepare to die okay hobby time what hobby you up to? time painting more Seraphon. Yes. I finished my salon up yesterday. Oh, nice. Which I feel like I have been painting for an entire month. <laughs> that chair is is nuts. I, <laughs> sure. I don't even know the right way to go about it because, like, painting the guy, not a big deal. He's his own sub-assembly, no problem. Sure. If I were to do it again, as I think about the way that the model is put together, I don't know that there is a way to subassemble it without losing your mind, right? Because there's so many pieces of this model. And I'm, I'm just going to grab it to show you, Dan. Oh, my God. You know, you've got, like, all these vines and stuff that are in the back here. And it's not just, like, you build the chair and then you put it on. Yeah. Some of the vines are, like, built into the features, you know, that you're putting on. So it's, oh so it's not even a helpful subassembly necessarily because, you know, you're painting some of these other features, like... Yeah, well, it's growing into the chair. Like, you can't yeah. separate them, Yeah. Yeah, really some crazy. spots you definitely can't. You know, wow. Some spots, you know, you probably can, but, like, I don't know that you want to because then you're removing a cohesive part of, you know, the way that, like, the rock is supposed to look together. Sure. Yeah. I don't know. Like, I still have Croak to do, but thankfully he's not in this army. I have one, and that's going to get painted at some point, and he's even more yep. complicated. Hello. So. <laughs> 
Yeah, we'll see. Well, maybe this is just a good warm-up for you, man. This is getting you ready for that. Uh, <laughs> I much more enjoy painting the Saurus part of the army. <laughs> sure. that? 40 Saurus instead of one of those, right? Like, it would also take me less time. Cool. So what about you? You and I have been on the road for uh, quite a bit here amount, over the yeah. last few weeks. So I am making a pretty major change to my Sylvaneth list after the... RTT I'm going to talk about. And so fortunately, I had 10 Gossamids done. They were finished, painted, wings, everything's there. So that was really good. But I have to build and paint six Kurnoth bows. So those are in progress. They are all primed. The fortunate thing for me is that I have Kurnoth swords already done. So I have a template in terms of color and everything else, basing and all that kind of stuff. So I could just put a couple of those on my work table and look at them and use that to fire through this pretty quickly. I'm going to have a grave tide that I'm going to need to paint, which is fine. That shouldn't take long at all. I've already got some pretty solid ideas for what I want to do with that. And then I want to do a small display board. I think you've seen that wooden tray that I carry my army around on now at events. Yep. So what I'm going to do is kind of make an insert for that. I'm going to do the display board on some foam board and decorate it and, you know, put trees and all the, the sylvaneth kind of stuff on it and then just drop it into the tray because I've sized it just right. So That's that'll, clever, yeah. That'll be really nice. Then I can carry it around and I'm show it off a little bit. So that'll be really cool. That stuff and this podcast need to get done by Friday. So yes. <laughs> it's going to be a busy week for me, my friend. Very, very busy to get all that done. Although I'm not going to leave for Dragonfall until later on Friday, probably after dinner or something. You know how close it is to us. That'll be fine. I have really have another four days to get all that stuff done, which is fine so yeah that's what i've been working on and we'll keep working on but once that is done well now of course here we go i said yeah no more sylvaneth i'm all finished well here we go again <laughs> there's always something and you still have to paint alariel and oh yeah um, you gotta at least try one of those kinds of lists out yeah. at some point isaiah is dropping some hints about that too so well, here we go yeah she'll be Another one of those winter projects when the RV's in storage and we're not going to be traveling so much. Okay, pre-orders. Well, it's Space Marine Palooza time. Man, there is everything that you could possibly want Space Marine. The two things that I thought was very cool were the Desolation Squad. is just so cool looking. It's like, you remember those old hunter-killer missiles that were on the guard tanks and stuff? They were like... Love those. Five points to kill a tank? Absolutely. <laughs> and like... like this long box, right? Well, yep. these Marines are carrying two of them, basically in a gun form. And it just looks awesome. I think they look so cool. And then this Brutalis Dread that they have has these two gigantic pointy claws on it. It looks more like it should be like a Space Wolves Dread, that one that they have. But it's a Marine Dread, which is cool. And then there's the mission deck that's come out, which is essential gear. I've been watching a little bit of 40K just to keep up with it. And that's a really, really big deal is having those mission cards. So that's available along again with all the other kit. And that's really it for pre-orders is they're really focusing on that, which is a lot of stuff. Actual drops, well, the NIDs actually are here with all their stuff. We hit the pre-orders before. There are also two Serastis variants, which you can use in not only Heresy, but 40K, which I did not know that until I'm reading the description, but she said you can play them in both, which is very oh. cool. Yeah. Okay. One of the few crossover units. Fair yeah. Enough. Very cool. And then on the Sigmar side, of course, we have 
the second Dawnbringer's book, which we'll talk about eventually. Which and we've got it's a really good one for most of the things in there. It's a really good one. Yeah, we got Trug's Trog Herd, which is cool. His model is awesome. We have the Oryx supplement that came out, which people played against at the the RTT last week, which is very free, which is really nice, which is really cool. You know, it's interesting that we got a quote supplement like that because that reminds me of the old Space Marine supplements. You know, to their codex when you used to have different chapter things. All the models came out. You had the giant maw grunta, the giant like ogre size pig. <laughs> the thing is monstrous. Yep. And Good old big pig. Then the ragers, which are those, you know, shirtless guys that are running around hurling stuff and beating people up. We got, I think it's new art boys, isn't it? They look new. They are very new. Because they looked really sharp. And then we have a couple heroes. Rabble Rouser, that silly little git guy from the last book is out. So all that stuff dropped this week. Games played other than Sigmar then. So Phantom Liberty came out a couple of days ago for Cyberpunk 2077. Oh, right, at the start right, of right. September. The 2.0 patch dropped earlier, I guess it's last month now, now that it's October. I had it for the PC originally, and there's not a chance that my PC would survive trying to play Cyberpunk again. <laughs> sure. I bought it for my Xbox Series X, right? You know, because that was one of the things that this was touted as, is it was going to be one of the first genuine next-gen games when it dropped mm. back in 2020. Okay. And it was Okay. So the 2.0 patches, they upgraded to, you know, the current gen of, you know, gaming platforms earlier. And the 2.0 is a, apparently like a, a major overhaul of a lot of the things that they were doing. So I was like, okay, I want to play Phantom Liberty. I'll start on the Xbox. I'll start from zero, right? You know, mm-hmm. basically approach it as a, a first-time playthrough. And there are some elements about the game that are majorly, majorly, majorly different and improved. And like mm. having not like really touched it for almost three years you can see how much work went into the game since the catastrophic That's launch. Now, so I great had a lot to hear. Fun yes. playing. Oh yeah, I remember you like, talking about it. Yeah. Don't get me wrong. And there. I did too. So um, it's, no, no, that's so great to hear because I saw it come out. I'm like, ooh, man. I hope this works for him. It took a hot minute for it to get you know fully loaded up on the Xbox. There's a lot of stuff to download. But I went into it going, you know, I'm not going to play a Netrunner again. That's what I played last time. But once I got in the game and I realized how different even, like, the ability trees are and Mm. stuff like that, I was like, oh, like, it would actually be kind of interesting to play this as a Netrunner again and see where the differences are. And one of the things that I've noticed immediately is, you know, like, it's something that they said was in the game originally, and I'm not sure that it was. It was, like, the counter hackers, right? The counter net runners. Mm-hmm. It's, it's actually a consequence now. They oh, like the, It wow. actually works. So you can build and mitigate it. Crafting is totally removed from, like, your skill trees. Like, it's its own thing. Oh, my God. I hate specking into crafting. They've apparently put, like, a major emphasis on, you know, changes to, like, cyberware and stuff like that. And... Like, the cyberware management is totally different. Like, Mm. your body has, like, a a load of how much cyberware it can handle. You know, you can upgrade that through various, you know, tech trees and things like that. I'm only a couple hours in. You know, I haven't progressed through the main storyline to get out of Watson yet. But I'm doing kind of what I did before, which is just exploring. Mm -hmm. And, you know, solving crimes by committing more crimes. (laughs) And, you know, (laughs) preventing murder by committing more murder. Uh, Yeah. Just kind of experiencing what the game is and what they have different, and you're all, and I'll get to the Phantom Liberty content at some point. But cool. you're really kind of experiencing Cyberpunk again as the 
it's not quite the game that they promised, but it's much closer than what we got three years ago. Okay. On that note, Dan, how's Starfield? It's wonderful. The good times just keep rolling, man. You know, I saw a couple of these critiques. It was like, Starfield is boring. I'm like, okay, what game are you playing? Like, you're not playing Starfield. If you're bored, you're doing something wrong with this game. I mean, it is so wide open that you can you can pretty much do whatever you want or be whatever you want. And I'm just having a great time with it. I actually went to a planet that looked like it would be, you know, relatively easy to get around and that kind of thing because I wanted to actually survey 100% of a planet. I thought that would be really cool to do. Discover all the flora, the fauna, the resources, everything else. I'm 93% done at this point. And oh, cool. I was almost finished and I got up to this ridge and I'm looking out going, oh my God, this is amazing. Like the view was incredible. I look up and there's like a ringed planet, you know, in the sky. It looks like it's closer than the moon, right? It was just so cool. And I go, you know what? I could build an outpost here and just like sit. <laughs> so I built my first outpost, even though it's only like two modules. I didn't even put anything in it yet or anything. It was just like, I'm going to build something so I could just stand here inside, safely inside my little outpost and look out at the ridge. And I, it was so cool. And then the other part of it was, I'm thinking, okay, I'm just going to survey the fauna, you know, the animals and stuff. Well, some animals don't like to be surveyed. <laughs> <laughs> and you got to be really careful when you get a certain distance from someone because most of the planets that I've been on that have had wildlife, there's at least one species that's pretty predatory, pretty aggressive. This time I was smart enough to take my robot with me, who's part of your crew. And what he would do against this one species that kept, I got close enough so that I could get a scan off of one of them. And then I tried to back up and they just tried to charge me. And I didn't quite have enough time to get to my weapon and stuff. So Vasco would just come in and just start wailing away at him, at least to slow him down. And they would start beating up on him, which gave me enough time. And then like two shots, boom, boom, they were down. But it was so cool to have that interaction with this robot. And he turns around, he's like, I'm so glad to see that you survived this encounter, sir. You know, it's like, nice, great, thanks, man. So Thank that you, was robot that was really fun, and it was it was no other purpose other than wanting to achieve something like that. That was really cool. It, just the randomness sometimes of encounters that you get. Like I was coming back from that surveying mission, I wanted to kind of resupply and stuff, and I get this distress call from the planet. Okay, I'm gonna see what's going on, and man, it was really involved, and there was a lot to the story other than just blowing up spacer ships. There was one point where the spacers were landing reinforcements like constantly, just waves of them were coming in on this installation. And I was in the installation helping these two factions defend it. And I'm like, what are we sitting here for? So I actually took the initiative and I went out to their landing spot where they were landing their troops and like engaged them right as they hit the surface. And it was really cool to be able to do that. You know, in a game, it was free open enough that I could take that kind of a tactic. And it worked great. I wiped out like four waves of them coming in. I haven't had to do any special modding or any kind of special cheats or anything to get some like awesome weapons. I mean, I've got a couple of automatic rifles that are just kick butt. And nice. I've got a laser pistol and a laser rifle, which are very cool. And then I've got this pistol that, Brendan, it's, it make you laugh to look at it. It's called Elegance, right? Okay. And it it's 43 Ultra Mag is the... So it's almost like a 45 caliber pistol. But this thing just rocks, man. Oh my God. But So one shot, sometimes two shots, boom, the bad guys are down. 
but the problem is it's only got an eight round magazine. <laughs> it's Ooh, like, yeah. oh, that's a little bit of a problem. Just overall, just having a great time. I finally built out my crew. Um, I've gotten to the point where I've been able to upgrade some of the components of my ship. I'm able to take on tougher enemies. I think last time I talked about the missiles, you know, that were a problem from the bad guys. Now I can take the shots um, when they shoot missiles at me because I've got a crew member who's buffing my shields and I've upgraded my shields and stuff. So very, very cool. And again, you can just pile up the little missions and other things that you can do or want to do. And it's kind of like in Skyrim where you could, you know, get like 10 or 15 things on your list, your to-do list. Yeah, then just go do them as you feel. Yeah, and, you know. and it's, it's like that. And you meet people and you talk to people and it's, it's just very, very cool. So Sigmar Games, have you had any chance to do anything? Did I talk about my game with Vince? Yeah, with him and his friends, right? No, I played a, just a solo game. Okay, no. I can't remember when everything was. Yeah, I just had a, a pickup game with Vince before I left on my vacation from my vacation. You know, wanted to get my Seraphon on the table. Because this is what I plan to take to Vault Wars, assuming that I can get it painted in time. If not, probably going to bring some ghosty boys. Wow. Because you know, I think that they play for the Highlander Award very well, right? You know, it's... Okay at least nine units you can't repeat any units night haunt have a lot of different units yes and some of them are very 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 inexpensive mm-hmm. that make building out the rest of your list pretty easy yeah so i was playing vince with his iron jaws and it was you know pretty standard you know your maw crushes some pigs some ard boys and i imagine my list works quite a bit better if i don't leave the door open for the slon to get charged <laughs> oh, on God. top of two. I could have pulled models differently, which would have left the Maw Crusher in combat, making it impossible to, to do what he did mm. in round two. But, you okay. know, such as life. Wasn't totally thinking through all the ramifications of every single model that had been pulled at that point in time. I was still thinking about, you know, what my army does. But man, I'll tell you, Dan, Saurus Warriors... When you get the buffs going... Sick, huh? 20 of them will do some damage. I'll watch out for that then. Now, I rolled pretty hot on my bite rolls, but, you know, like, the Maw Crusher had plus two wounds on him from, you know, being able to fight and kill in two combats. Yeah. I zeroed a Maw Crusher with plus two wounds with a unit of uh, buffed up... Ouch. Saurus Wars. And not even all the way buffed because my slot was dead, so I was missing at least one of my buffs. Oh. They're good. So there were some really good things that happened. We talked about, you know, some changes. As much as I love my nuclear missile Carnosaur, I'm dropping him to take an mm-hmm. Agrodon boss and get another caster in the list. Okay. You know, so I can take Acolytes and, you know, get access to, you know, more readily to some Primal Dice and that kind of thing. Okay. But yeah, really loving some of the coalesce stuff. I can definitely see where the power level comes. You know, when you start taking some of the starborn teleporting silly nonsense oh, yeah. that's along with it. But you know, that's not the goal of what we're doing here. So no. it was a fun game. Just an opportunity to, to really see what this idea in my head looks like when it hits the dice rolling phase. Cool. That's awesome. And you had an RTT that you went yeah, to three last games. weekend. Run yeah. by our friend Dave, which was great. So thank you, Dave, for putting that all together and being the TO, because it's always work to do that and takes time. Oh, uh, don't I know. Yeah, right? Three games. My first game was against a Soulblight player who had an Avengory list. 
And we're going to talk a little bit about how Durthu is so swingy, but in this case, was the exception to the rule. First turn, he killed a zombie dragon. Second turn, he killed a zombie dragon. Third turn, he took Vordry down to one wound. Okay, but of course we know what that means is basically you took him down to no wounds because he's going to heal and like by the end of his turn He was back up to like seven or eight wounds and then he won the battle round And so by the time he finished his turn Vordry was up to full wounds again I'm like, okay interesting and that game was very close. It was a minor loss because We were tied on points it ended up that because he didn't get his grand strategy I got mine came down to one battle tactic where he had to, I can't remember if he either had to kill or not kill, like a hero he had attacked. But my Kurnos swords, it was weird because, you know, he had his grave sites, he had his skeletons, and he was grabbing stuff, and I only had 20 dryads on the board. So I was kind of spread out, and I was trying to get those guys in a position where when Vordry charged me, he wouldn't charge them, you know, because he would take a bunch of them out. There's no question about that. It was a good game. And then the second game was just scary because uh, my opponent had Dark Walkers. Dark Walkers. Sorry, Dark Walkers, Beast of Chaos. And he started the game with two units on the board, like 10 Ungors and a Shaman, right? And the rest of his freaking army, the other 1,800 points or whatever it was, was sitting off the board. I'm going, yeah, like what? <laughs> What am I supposed to do about this? And I didn't understand. Because, you know, in this game, you can't know everybody else's battle tome. It's, well, you, you can, but it's really difficult for the average player to do that. So yeah, I didn't, you, you have to listen to cubic shenanigans and take good notes. notes yeah. and, you know. So I didn't understand about 12 inches from board edge, you know, because... And 12 inches for this or that. And so he basically took my branch witch off the board with his silly, you know, D6 mortal wound thing that he has. His one hero thing he can do. He spiked. He rolled a six. And boom. Branch witch gone. Then he just shot the hell out of a bunch of stuff. Because he had like 30 raiders off the board. So that was like 60 shots. And I had stuff too close. Not knowing. And then on turn two, he dropped nine bulgors. Like right in my face. That was not pretty. As you can imagine. Um, no. and, and part of that was my fault for not screening properly because if I had dropped those 10 dryads from the lady, I could have held them up and then my swords could have got in and just ripped them a new one. He, he, they would have taken all of them out, but not done. It was very instructive. And if I play Dark Walker's army again, I'll know and I'll set up very, very differently. Then my third game was against KO. So it wasn't like I had an easy weekend here. <laughs> You know? <laughs> yeah, not at, not, not at all. He had an yeah, iron... To be 0-2 and, and then catch KO in your last <laughs> game is... That's rough. You should apologize to Dave is what you should do. That's, you know... <laughs> whatever you did to him, he, he's holding on to it. He had an ironclad full of, like, 20, what, Arcanauts or whatever those guys are with the three-up saves. Those Duty guys. Thunders. Yeah, those were crazy. And then he had Gotrek, which was fun. Although Gotrek's easy to deal with. You just avoid him. You know, I mean, really, that was the strategy and it worked fine. And then he had a gun hauler. And then he had like 20 of the other regular shooty guys, like the not so good shooty guys. I don't know what they are. So Durthu just didn't, he was exactly the opposite. He just rocked game one. And game three, he did nothing. I could not get anything to go. Spite Swarm didn't go. Either I didn't cast it or didn't go. I couldn't get my trees to go. And as we talked before the show, and if I could have gotten a tree off, I was positioned to have Durthu charge that ironclad and boom, game over, right? That thing, 500 point model would have just fallen from the sky. 
But again, things weren't clicking. And that just goes to the swinginess of Durthu. You have to realize. And plus, at one point he had taken him down to like, I think he was down to like six wounds. So he's D6 on that damage instead of six. It just wasn't enough, you know, because those Arcanauts come out of there, or the, the Thunderers, they get a three-up base save. There's 20 of them with two wounds. That's a lot to dig through. It's not nothing. And they're shooting at you while you're doing it. <laughs> Yeah, it was okay. And again, you know, I've made some changes to my list for Dragonfall. And I think I could have handled that list differently if I had had some other tools. So overall, and he, all my opponents play good games. I'm not, I'm not minimizing at all what they did. Yeah, good weekend, a lot of learning, had a great time. Met a bunch of people. You know, it's always great when people compliment your army when it's on the table. And met some new folks. There was a pretty big crew that came up from Illinois. That was great to see all them there. The other great thing is it looks like they're going to have this RTT going on every two months. So it looks like the same weekend as Holy Havoc, you're going to have another RTT, which will be really cool in November. Oh, cool. Yeah, so I can give this other list a try and those kind of things. So yeah, events. We got Dragonfall this weekend, which I will be going to. We'll, yep, and Michigan GT will be at the same time, but in Michigan. Yes, in Michigan, yeah. And then you have Vault Wars in a couple weeks, a couple of few weeks. Yep, I've got that coming up in October 21st, 22nd yep. time frame. Two weeks after Dragonfall. And then we have RockCon the first week in November, which is exciting stuff. They're starting to have events and stuff come out for that, so very, very exciting. Then, as we just mentioned, the next Warp Storm RTT, Warp Storm because it's the name of the store it's at, uh, will be the same weekend as Holy Havoc, which is the weekend of the 11th, I think it is, of... November, and then you go to Atlanta. Then I go to Atlanta, yep. Now, have you heard anything at all? Have they yes. finally given yes. you information? Because yes. that was the big... I told Cindy that they had told you nothing when we were recording the last... She's like, well, what kind of organization is this? <laughs> we finally got our pack last week. God. And yeah, so the format is game start Thursday. Mm -hmm. Yes, yeah, so you play five games over the course of Thursday and Friday. And you're in like a pod. Then the top eight, and I don't know if we're going to have eight pods or how that's going to work exactly, but the top eight then make it to a double elimination tournament hmm. that's played out on Saturday and Sunday. Okay. And then the rest of us that don't make the knockout tournaments are put into what is basically an RTT of people who had the same record that you did, but it, across the pods. Mm -hmm. You know, so if you were a four and one who didn't make the top eight, you're going to go into the four and one pod. Okay. And you're going to play three games, two on Saturday and one on Sunday. So you're going to play at least eight games, but if you are the winner of the tournament, you're going to have played 12 games. Oh, my at gosh. Least. That's nuts. Crazy. Yeah. I kind of wish that they would, because honestly, you know, the majority of us are just going to be in that RTT pod, that they would just make that all of Saturday and that they leave Sunday open, where if we want mm. to get, like, pick up games with, you know, different people from, you know, what is going to amount to all over the world. Mm-hmm. There's a couple of Australian players that I have followed for years that I would love to be able to get a game in with because their lists and their play styles have influenced a lot of the decisions in armies that I play because hmm. I see what they're doing and I go, that's very interesting. And you know, I'll try it out. I'll do something kind of similar. I'll go, eh, that's not really for me. But you know, whether they know it or not, our 
major, major, major influences on you know the way that I go about a list selection for tournaments. Okay. So I'd like that, but you know they're not going to change the format at this point. Um, okay. So I'll put it in my little feedback box if I end up making it back <laughs> to the worlds. Okay, fair. I'm just glad I know when I can book hotels and that kind of thing. Right, exactly. That's what we were worried about for you. So, Okay, cool. That's it then, man. Yep. A pretty busy whispers, man. Yeah, this well, really you, you and I had a full 30 minutes before the show even started of catching up. So it's... <laughs> it's true. All right, man. Then let us move on to the main focus of the show, which is the second part of the Cities of Sigmar Battle Tome. I mean, what are we, a team? No, no, no. We're a chemical mixture that makes chaos. We're, we're a time bomb. So, Brendan, we're going to start and dive right into the orders for the elves and the dwarden. Listeners, if you want to kind of get a review of the orders, go back and listen to episode 129. We are time-stamped, and we talk about the generic orders for this book as well as how orders work. With that, Brendan, why don't you pick one and get us started? I'll start with just the first one here, the form shield wall. You trigger this at the start of the enemy combat phase. You pick a friendly Cities of Sigmar Dwarven unit that has five or more models and is within three inches of the hero that has it. The unit forms a shield wall until the end of the phase. While it is a shield wall, they have strikes last but gain a five-up ward. There's some pretty tough Dwarven units, so this is... uh, If you see dwarf heroes and dwarf units, you can pretty well surmise that you're going to expect to have to break on a at least five-up warded shield wall. Okay. At least. <laughs> at least, right. When we get to the units, yep. The first elf order we're going to talk about is strike them down. You can reveal this order at the start of the charge phase. If you do so, pick one friendly cities of Sigmar elf unit that's within three inches of the hero with this order. If that unit makes a charge, move this turn. The strike first effect applies to that unit until the end of the turn, so just give yourself strike first. It's cool. And there is a synergy here you want to talk about. Yep. So if you also use the generic counter charge order, so that's for all Cities of Sigmar units, you reveal that at the end of the enemy charge phase, and you can potentially counter charge in your opponent's phase with countercharge having already issued strike them down to that unit you'd be gaining strikes first in your opponent's turn but the other thing that countercharge does is if you make that charge move your ren characteristic goes up by one stupid you know, like it's tough to set up because you're effectively telegraphing something to your opponents right especially if they know what all the orders are or what you can do is you can use it to call their bluff, basically, mm. and force them into a spot that they don't want to be because they think that you're trying to do something different than what it is you're actually doing. That's one of the neat part of orders because they're hidden until they're revealed. Okay. What about the um, next warden order? Yep. So Grim Last Stand, and I don't love this one a ton, but you reveal it at the start of your combat phase. You pick a friendly Cities of Simgar Dwarden unit that is within three inches of that hero with this order. Until the end of that phase, each time a model from this unit is slain by an attack made with a melee weapon, you can pick one enemy unit within three inches of that model's unit and roll a die. On a five-up, that enemy unit suffers one mortal wound. So you're not going to have a ton of Dwarden models, right, to basically make this valuable in volume. But if you have spare heroes and you're not going to be using Shield Wall, which really is the better of the two, it's not a bad one if it's your last choice. That makes sense. And then the next Elf Order is Swift disengage you can reveal this order at the end of the combat phase <clears throat> if you do so pick one friendly cities of sigmar elf unit that's within three inches of the hero with this order and is within three inches of any enemy units that unit can immediately retreat 
It's good. It's a little tougher to set up, but if you have everything in the right place, you can use it, especially if you know that you're playing at the bottom of the turn Mm -hmm. to set up your next turn really, really well. Or what you can do is you can use it to... If there's the potential of a double, use it to screen off something that your opponent might be trying to open the door up against. Sure. All right, that's it. Just four yeah. orders for them. Let's go talk about the couple of heroes that we have to talk Hooray. about. So we're going to start with the Dwarden heroes. Mm-hmm. And we have the Warden King. He is four-inch move, six wounds, three-up save, eight bravery. He has a rune hammer that has one-inch range, five attacks, three by threes, minus two, D3 damage. If this unit is picked to be your general at the start of the first battle round, you can pick one enemy unit to bear a grudge. Oh, that's very narrative. Against, if you do so until the end of the battle, if the unmodified hit roll for an attack made with a melee weapon by a Cities of Sigmar Dwarden unit is a six, that attack automatically wounds the target. Nice. And then Fearless Leader in the combat phase after this unit has fought for the first time. In that phase, you can pick one friendly Cities of Sigmar Dwarden unit that has not yet fought in that phase, is within three of an enemy unit, wholly within 12 of this unit, unit can fight immediately. We've seen that a bazillion times now. Yep, it's also how you can use to get around the fight's last action, mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. this should be the more recent rule application, and that would trigger that unit to fight immediately. Okay. So you can have your cake and eat it too. Uh, next up is the Rune Lord. Five wounds, four inch move, four up save, bravery seven. His staff and hammer, one inch range, three attacks, threes by threes, no rend, damage, D3. Mm-hmm. He can attempt to unbind one spell in the enemy hero phase like a wizard. Mm-hmm. That his war scroll prayer is forge fire, answer value four, range of 18. Pick a friendly Cities of Sigmar Dwarden unit, wholly within range, invisible to the chanter. So the start of your next hero phase, improve the rend character so that unit's melee weapons by one. Which Fair. is pretty good, because most Dwarden units have a reasonable bit of rend on the weapons they're carrying. Yeah, no kidding. And rend 2, becoming rend 3, that's pretty scary. And even getting it on your most defensible unit, which you know we'll get to a little bit later, get it, giving them any point of rend is it's not bad. No. Why don't you talk about the next unit? Yeah, so our next hero is the Cogsmith. Five wounds, four-inch move, three-up save, bravery, eight. And he has a couple of different options. You have to pick between the Dwarden pistol, a gun butt, and either the Grudge Raker or the Axe. So the pistols, which you get automatically, 9-inch range, 2 attacks, 4s by 3s, minus 1, 1 damage. The Grudge Raker, 18-inch range, 2 attacks, 4s by 3s, rend 1, damage 2. The gun butt, you know, 1-inch range, 1 attack, 4s by 4s, no rend, 1 damage. And then the axe, 1-inch range, 3 attacks, 3s by 3s, rend 1, damage 2. You know, real solid combat hero. (laughs) Sure. So you add 1 to hit rolls for attacks made with this unit's missile weapons if it doesn't have a cog axe. Mm-hmm. And add one to hit rolls for attacks made with the student's melee weapons if it's not armed with a grudge raker. So you can take both, but you get a benefit for taking one and not the other. Fair. You can issue commands to friendly gyrocopters and gyrobomber units anywhere on the battlefield if you have a cogsmith, which is kind of cool. It's the, like he has a Vox unit. He can just call Yeah, them. exactly. <laughs> gyrocopters and gyrobombers are fine. We'll get to them a little bit later, but okay. that's it for the three wise dwarf heroes. And it's over to the slightly more than three. Darkling uh, Covens, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Elf heroes. So we'll start out with the Sorceress on a Black Dragon. 14 wounds move is 14 down to 8. 5 up save, 7 bravery. The dragon has a noxious breath, or maybe the Sorceress does. I don't know. It's it, whatever. <laughs> Nine inch range, and the attacks goes from 
Well, we're going to talk about it. It's a special rule. We'll talk about that. And then to hit is two down to five. Wound is three, minus one ran, one damage, and the special attacks characteristic is equal to the number of models in the target unit to a maximum of 10. So they are limiting that now to 10 versus 20 or 30 or whatever it is, which is reasonable. Then we have cruel weapons and fearsome jaws and razor sharp claws. Yeah, because you're on a dragon, why not? Okay, so cruel weapons, one inch range, one attack, three by threes, minus one D3, and then the jaws are two inch range, three attacks, four by threes, minus two D3, and then the claws are two inch range, six attacks down to three, four by threes, minus one, two damage. So a dragon can rock a little bit. She is a one by one wizard. Command underlings is one of her special rules. This unit can issue the same command to up to two times in the same phase. If it does so, each command must be received by a friendly Darkling Covens unit. No command points are spent the second time this unit issues a command. Nice. Free command. Never a bad thing. And then we have Bladestorm. It's a spell that has a casting value of 6, range of 18. If successfully cast, pick one enemy unit within range. If visible at caster, roll 9 dice. For each roll that is less than the unit's save characteristic, that unit suffers one mortal wound. So it's not modified save or whatever. It's actually the save thing. So even if it's yep. modified down to a 3-up or something. So, very cool. Uh, Sorceress on foot. 5 wounds, 6-inch move, 6-up save, bravery 7. She's got her witch staff, 2-inch range, 1 attack, 3s by 3s, ren 1, damage d3. 1 cast, 1 unbind. She has blood sacrifice. At the start of your hero phase, you can pick 1 friendly Darkling Coven's model within 3 inches of this unit to be slain. If you do so, add 2 to the casting roll for this <laughs> unit until the end of that phase. Pretty sweet. Yeah, yeah, pretty good. Her War Scroll spell is solid. Word of Pain, casting value 7, and if you're getting that plus 2, it's really only a 5. Range of 18, pick an enemy unit within range. That unit suffers D3 mortal wounds. In addition, subtract 1 from hit rolls for attacks made by that unit until your next hero phase. Solid. Yeah, just good. Okay, onward. Dreadlord what? on Black Dragon. Yeah, why don't you talk about the next dragon guy? Yeah, so very similar to the Sorceress. 14 wounds, 14-inch move down to 8. 4-up save, bravery 7. You have a bunch of different weapon options you have to pick from. (laughs) So you have to choose between either the Exile Blade and Tyrant Shield, Exile Blade and Repeater Crossbow, Lance of Spite and Tyrant Shield, Lance of Spite and Repeater Crossbow, (laughs) or Paired Exile Blades. (laughs) Wow. The shield isn't what it used to be, right? So the shield is unmodified save rolls of 6 succeed regardless of modifiers. That's fine but at that point you're probably just looking for you know maybe some more damage maybe not i don't know mm. the repeater crossbow is 18 inch range four attacks fours by fours no ren damage one mm. the noxious breath is the same as what we just talked about mm-hmm. the single exile blade one inch range five attacks threes by threes ren one damage two the paired exile blades is one inch range six attacks threes by threes ren one damage two Six. so okay that's yeah if you're committed to the blade i think you go the blade and the shield the extra attack isn't going to net you much more sure the lance of spite is two inch range four attacks threes by threes ren one damage two and if it made a charge move in the same turn add one to the damage and the ren characteristic so it'd be ren two damage three Okay. And then the jaws and claws are the same as what we just talked about on the sorceress. The difference is under the shadow of black wings, you can reroll charge rolls for this unit and friendly order serpentis units while they are wholly within 12 inches of this unit. Ooh. So the things that are order serpentis are basically anything that has the word drake spawn in it, mm-hmm. uh, the war hydra as well. Yeah. That's not bad. Mm-hmm. Let's see who's next. The Assassin, Dan. Do you like to talk about the Assassin, or would you like to talk about the Fleet Master? The Fleet Master. I think that'd be appropriate for me. 
Fleet sure. Master, yeah, of course. Fleet Master, six inch move, five wounds, four up save, seven bravery, has a cutlass and murder hook, one inch range, five attacks, three by threes, minus one, two damage, and then the murderous swashbuckler. If the unmodified hit roll for an attack made with a melee weapon that targets this unit is a one, the attacking unit suffers two mortal wounds after all its attacks have been resolved. That's kind of cool. It's so silly. I yeah. love it. Okay, so uh, you're going to roll how many attacks? 20? Okay. Ooh, that's six ones? Oh, God, that's terrible. All right, you killed me. <laughs> Take those 12 mortal wounds. That's really good. At them, you curse is his other special rule. When this unit issues an all-out attack command to friendly Scourge Privateers units, add one to the attack's characteristic of that unit's weapons until the end of the phase. This effect is in addition to the normal effect of all-out attack. Cool. So add one to hit and one to the number of attacks. Very, very cool. We'll get to the Black Arc Corsairs when we talk about units, but <laughs> man, they benefit hugely from that two, three sentences that are there. <sighs> Um, yeah. yeah. So our last hero, the assassin, five wounds, six inch move, five up save, bravery seven. They mm-hmm. have the poison coated blades, one inch range, six attacks, threes by threes, ren one damage one, death shed poison, mm-hmm. or death's head poison. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Unmodified wound rolls for attacks made with the poison coated blades is a six. The target suffers D3 mortal wounds and the attack sequence ends. They're a hidden murderer while this unit's within three of a friendly Cities of Sigmar elf unit that has three or more models. This unit is not visible to enemy units that are more than 12 inches away from it. Because, um, like, the shooting, they're already not visible, mm-hmm. you know, if they're within. But... 12, yeah. That's yeah. consistent okay. at least, yeah. That makes sense. I don't know what extra that's doing for you, but in for the kill, the strike first effect applies this unit if it made a charge move in the same turn. Okay. That's it. Those are all the Dwarden and Elf heroes. Wow. That's crazy. All equally good and awesome. Yeah, <laughs> sure. <laughs> All right. Well, then it's time to talk enhancements, my friend. It is. So let's move back to that part of the book, which is way back here. Let us talk about... Warden command traits. Yeah, yeah. What are you thinking about these? I don't love any of these, especially while, right, you have to take a Dwarden, and they have to be your general. All right, the combat wasn't incredible on many of them. Mm-hmm. I guess I'm going to go Master of Ancient Lore. The general becomes mm-hmm. a priest. If this general already is a priest, they know an additional prayer from the Rune Lore prayer scripture. Mm-hmm. Like The prayer scripture's pretty good. What that also lets you do is it also lets you take a generic enhancement prayer and then also a Rune Lore prayer on the general without spending an enhancement to know more prayers. Sure. Yeah, I like the resilience thing just because as I'm thinking of this is me building cities list. I don't see these guys as being like ones that I'm going to hold out, you know, so I would get them involved in combat. But again, they have to be your general. So that's the issue with these. Myself, I can't see making any of these Dwarden heroes my general, given mm. all the other choices in the book. There are just so many of them. I think if you're taking Dwarden, you're taking them to support you know, additional yes. Dwarden yeah. units that you have taken elsewhere in the army. Agreed. So how about the Elf Command? Yeah, contrary to the Dwarden one, I think all <laughs> three of these are situationally good. I'm a fan of Secreted Warlock, Wizard Only, add one to casting on binding rolls made for this wizard. Mm-hmm. Uh, not dispelling, weirdly enough, but, you know, casting and unbinding, you get plus one. Yep, that is very good. I'll take that all day. For sake of interesting, Unparalleled Duelist, I think, mm-hmm. is really fun on one of the dragons. Okay. For each hit roll for an attack made with a melee weapon that targets this general and does not score a hit, the attacking unit suffers a mortal wound <laughs> after all attacks have been resolved. That's so great. So <laughs> what, what you do there is you hand out some minuses to hit, 
you charge your general in and you go, okay. go for it. Yeah. Yeah. You're hitting on fives, roll those 30 dice. Oh yeah. my God. Ooh. Ooh, buddy. Very cool. Then we have artifacts. So what do you think about these? Yeah, see, I like you, what you just, that sound you just made is the sound I made when I read these, the dwarf stuff is like, eh, okay, whatever. But let's talk about them, as you always say, for sake of interest here. Yeah. Yeah. Pile driver gauntlets at the start of the combat phase of this units within three inches of any enemy units. You can say it will strike the ground. If you do so, the bearer cannot fight this phase. However, roll a dice for each enemy unit within three inches of the bearer. On a four up, the strike last effect applies to that enemy unit until the end of the phase. Mm-hmm. It's a weird thing to spend an artifact on. Since it's only a 50-50 deal. Exactly. Yeah, and the other one that I thought was interesting was the Book of Grudges, which is, of course, very narrative. But again, it's 50-50. You know, and the whole thing here is you pick an enemy unit that's visible to the bearer if you're more than three inches from all enemy units. On a four-up, a grudge is found. Add one to the hit rolls for attacks made by friendly Dwarden units to target that enemy unit until the next grudge is found. Okay, that's not bad, especially as, you know, we talked about the rend on some of these warden units and stuff. But again, it's 50-50, and you've committed an artifact to that. Yep. How about the elf stuff? For me, it's pretty clear. The Anklet of Epiphany, wizard only. Add six inches to the range of spells cast by the bearer. While the bearer is wholly on a terrain feature and or is contesting an objective. You're adding six to the range of these spells. Yep. That is just way good, no matter what. There's some good play. spells, too. Yep, absolutely. There's at least one that you really want an extra six inches of range on. <laughs> sure. Yeah, that's one I would have picked as well. I don't know that there's another one, the, the Shadow Shroud Ring, which is interesting once per... But there's only once per battle. At the start of your hero phase, you can say that the bear will use the ring. If you do so until the start of your next hero phase, the bear is not visible to any units that are more than 12 inches away. I mean, that could be okay to preserve something but again you've committed an artifact to a once per battle thing yep you gotta play the other four battle rounds so let us move on to lore Mm -hmm. which is interesting yes there's one standout spell here dan Mm -hmm. and that is the tenebral blades casting value seven range of nine boy it'd be really cool if it was range 15 for free basically (laughs) but but how would you do that brendan (laughs) yeah artifact (laughs) You pick one friendly Cities of Sigmar elf unit wholly within range and visible until the start of your next hero phase when making save rolls for attacks made with melee weapons by that unit. The target's save characteristic is blank. That is so sick. <laughs> so keep this spell in mind when we're thinking about units. And when we get to the fleet Corsairs mm. and their potential 40 attacks mm-hmm. in a unit of 10... I just want you to remember this spell. Yeah. You were telling me before the game about your two-up save on that unit? Oh, okay. That's good. Yeah. <laughs> All right, cool. And that's such a bummer, though, because the other two are really good. The other one is a minus one to wound, mm-hmm. and the other one is when you take battle shock, you roll 2d6 instead of 1d6. Mm-hmm. Like, those are huge. Yeah. All three of them are good. You're going to have to plan for tenebral blades consistently, especially if high armor units enter the game. Sure. Stan, how about some prayers? I like the Rune of Oath and Steel. I think it's pretty that solid. That's a very good one. It only has an answer value of 3, so that's good. A range of 12. If answered, pick one friendly Dwarden unit wholly within range of visible enchanter. Subtract one from wound rolls for attacks that target that unit until the start of your next hero phase. So, so good. I think all three of them have a place. So the one that I think is maybe most interesting, right, if you're going to throw in just like a Dwarden 
Priest is the Rune of Wrath and Ruin. Okay. And answer value of three and range of 18. If answered, pick an enemy unit within range, invisible enchanter, roll six dice for each roll of a five up. So on average, you're going to roll two. That enemy unit suffers one mortal wound. In addition, if a unit suffers three or more mortal wounds when the prayer is answered, that unit is ruined until the start of your next hero phase. While a unit is ruined, ignore positive modifiers to save rolls for attacks that target that unit. <laughs> That's pretty freaking awesome. And when you think about it, the poor little throwaway rune lord is 100 points. Mm-hmm. Right? That is a pretty cheap way to sneak in this prayer. Now, you're not building your army around it, but like... It's something that you have to think about if it's present. Mm-hmm. Like, sure. You can't do nothing about it. Right. Over to units. Oh, units. Right, right, right. Units. Yeah, and then we'll talk about cities. Okay. We are starting off with some Longbeard's 4-inch move, as most Dwarven units are. One wound, 4-up save, 8 bravery. This is, you know, this is the funny thing about this, is that you see Fire Slayers all the time, and that's all two wounds you know, for a model. Mm-hmm. This is all one wounds for a model. So you kind of have to make a mental adjustment to realize these guys aren't quite as beefy as the Fire Slayers yeah. are. And City dwarfs aren't as tough <laughs> as feral dwarves. There are two weapon profiles here. One is an ancestral great axe, which is one inch range, two attacks, three by threes, minus two, one damage. And then ancestral weapons, which is one inch range, two attacks, three by fours, minus one, one damage. But wouldn't it be cool, Brendan, on something like this? We have another unit too that if you could have those weapons be rent three and rent two, wouldn't that be really yeah. cool? That would be pretty cool, Dan. That would be pretty cool. <laughs> There's a champion, of course, add one to the attacks characteristic of that model's melee weapons. You can choose between the great axe or the ancestral weapon and a shield. Uh, the standard bearer adds one to bravery, musician. Adds one to run and charge rolls. I can just see you running and charging these guys a lot. So that's useful. <laughs> shield. If this unit is armed with Ancestral Weapon and Gromroll Shield, it has a save character of 3-up instead of 4-up. Pretty sweet. And then, I thought the Dwarden were made of sterner stuff. Each time a model would flee from a friendly Dwarden unit that is wholly within 12 inches of any friendly units with this ability, long beards, Roll a dice on a four up that model does not flee. That's pretty good. Man, you have a good sized brick of these guys and they take some punches. Man, very cool little rule. Well, and it's not even just this unit, right? It's friendly units that are wholly within 12 inches of this unit. Mm-hmm. So their existing serves as the bulwark against losing additional models, which and Brendan, is pretty good. If you take shields on them and they take shield wall, they would have a three up, five up safe. With a four up. Battle shock prevention. Yeah. Whew. That's so cool. What about the guys with the big giant chisel? Yeah, the things? hammers. Yeah. The hammerers. So they're one wound, four inch move, four up save, bravery seven. They have their Grommel Great Hammer, one inch range, two attacks, threes by threes, rend two, damage two. They're the King's Guard. At the start of the first battle round, before determining who has the first turn, you can pick one friendly Warden King on the battlefield for this unit to be assigned to. The same Warden King cannot have more than one unit assigned to it. That Warden King has a ward of a 4-up while it is within 3 inches of this unit. Okay. Pretty good. Nice. That would make a Warden King a 3-up, 4-up. Mm-hmm. Pretty sweet. Not bad. Yep. They're a decent combat unit, so... Yeah, I was just looking at points, so you could get 20 of those long beards for 260 points with a 3-up, 5-up save if you got the ward off. The one real problem with a lot of the Warden half or quarter of the book is I feel like a lot of it's a little just too expensive for what you're getting, right? It's 130 points for 10 wounds that are, 
you know, they can be a three-up base, which is good, but then you have to spend an order on them to be a five-up, and that also means you need a Dwarden hero, and once you start building the army and you start mm. spending the you don't have a ton versus how much stuff you get on the human side of things. Yes, agreed. Okay, Brandy, you want to talk about one of the next two units. Which one do you want? Iron Drakes or Iron Breakers? I will do Iron Drakes. Okay. Shooty guys. Okay. One wound, four inch move, four up save, bravery seven. So Iron Drakes have a Drake gun and a plated fist. So the Drake gun is 15 inch range, one attack, threes by threes, rend one, damage one. And then the champion has to pick between a grudge hammer torpedo or Drake fire pistols and a cinder blast bomb. The grudge hammer torpedo is 18 inch range, one attack, threes by threes, rend two, damage D3. And the pistols are nine inch range, two attacks, threes by threes, rend one, damage one. They all have their plated fist, one inch range, one attack, fours by fours, no rend damage one. Standard bearer, plus one to bravery. Musician, adds one to run and one to charge rolls. Mm-hmm. They have blaze away. You add one of the attacks characteristic, bumping them up to two attacks. With their missile weapons, if there are no enemy units within three inches of this unit, and this unit has not made a move or been set up in the same turn. So if they're not near somebody, they can really do some shooting there. The Cinder Blast Bomb, which you can give to your unit champion once per battle in your shooting phase, that model can throw it. If you do so, pick one enemy unit within six inches of this model and roll a dice. And a two if that unit suffers D3 mortal wounds. That little chip Fine. damage. Good. And then the Grudge Hammer Torpedo, if the target is a monster, it is damage three instead of D3. Yeah. Okay. Then we get the Iron Breakers. And they got different kind of hammers. These are one-handed hammers instead of two-handed hammers. Four-inch move, one wound, three-up save, base, seven bravery. They have Drake Fire Pistols. No, they don't all have Drake Fire Pistols. No, they don't. That's just the champion guy. But they're nine-inch range, two attacks, three-by-threes, minus one, one damage, and then the Iron Breaker weapon is one-inch range, two attacks, three-by-fours, no rend, one damage. The champion has the pistols and a Cinder Blast bomb which we'll talk about. I think it's the same yeah, as the other one. The standard bearer, one to bravery, musician, add one to run a charge. So the cinder blast bomb is the same as it was for the iron drakes. And then we have Gromrel shield wall. If this unit is picked for the form shield wall order, it has a ward of a four up instead of a five up. Holy mother. That's a bunch pretty of dwarves with a three up, four up save, man. That is just too crazy now it's 160 points for um i think 160 no it's 130 under battle line that's crazed man so i think something that you're gonna see a bunch is that one of the battle line choices that your opponent is going to take is going to be a unit of 20 iron breakers Mm -hmm. and one of the cheapest chips heroes probably the rune lord Mm. And that's going to be their main frontline screen protecting their wall of fusiliers that are just going to rain devastation down on everybody that looks at them kind of funny. Yeah, that's so good. Well, forget whatever I said about the long beards and their, and their safes and stuff. That's, this is so good. It's just objectively better, right? Yeah. Unless you're looking for more offense, then the long beards are the way to go. As a single, we'll kind of call it a throwaway addition to the army to, mm-hmm. to help keep everyone safe. These are tough to beat. And next we have the Dwarden fighters and Dwarden bombers, kind of. Yep. We have gyrocopters, which are 12-inch wound, four wounds, three up save, six bravery. You have a choice. You can take a brimstone gun or a steam gun. The brimstone gun is 15-inch range, three attacks, three by threes, minus one D3. Or the steam gun is 12-inch range, 
2d6 attacks, which would average out around seven or so, which is good. Three by threes, but there's no rend and it's only one damage. And then if you get close enough, you can chop people up with your rotor blades. One inch range, three attacks, four by fours, minus one, two damage. Obviously, both these units can fly that we're going to talk about. You add one of the attack characteristics if you take two or more models for the squadron leader. Once per battle, after this unit has made a normal move, pick one enemy unit and roll one dice for each model in this unit that is passed across the enemy unit. Reach two up, D3 mortals. Okay, cool. It's kind of like a flyover impact hit, I guess. <laughs> Something like that. Yeah. Okay. I think you're taking the steam gun, especially yeah. if you're yeah. taking a unit of three. Right, to be 6d6 shots at twos and threes, you're going to make some units feel pretty sad. Way to dice, man. Okay, then, then you've got the, the bomber. Yeah, He's yeah. five wounds, 12 inch move, three up save, bravery six. They've got the clatter gun, 18 inch range, five attacks, threes by threes, rend one, damage two. Rotor blade to the same, and the grudge buster bombs. The difference here is. It's not once per battle. It's after this unit has made a normal move, pick one enemy <laughs> unit that is passed across and roll a dice on two up that enemy unit suffers D3 mortal wounds. So okay. this one's got the cargo to keep dropping bombs the whole game. So it's mm. 120 for a gyro bomber or 80 for a gyrocopter or 240 for the unit of three. I don't know. What do you think? I, when I look at this, just the weight of dice of having three of these things with steam guns, that's really scary. Even though you're not going to get the mortal wounds as often... It's still so many dice, man. It's a perfect comparison, right? You can have either two gyro bombers or you can have three gyrocopters. Mm -hmm. And your gyro bombers are going to be more of like a fixed firing platform mm -hmm. in terms of the range. Yeah. But you want to have them in close to be dropping bombs. Whereas the gyrocopters, you want them in close, you want them in close, you want them in close. There's not any kind of contradictory idea of what it is that they're doing. I think you're better suited with gyrocopters, and I would run them as individual copters instead of a unit mm, of three. Mm -hmm. If you are going to run that many, just to right space the board, annoy your opponent, tie them up, screen them, charge in at the, the back of uh, units and tag one guy and charge the other side and tag one guy and go, good luck, it's four wounds on yeah. a three up save. What do you think you got here, chief? Here's to five miserable months on the wagon and all the irreparable harm that it's caused me. All right, let's talk about some Darkling Covens, man. There is some scary stuff in here, dude. So we'll start with the Black Guard, yeah? It's mm -hmm. a six-inch move, one wound, four up safe, seven bravery. The champion adds one to attacks characteristics. They have an Ebon Halberd, two-inch range, two attacks, three by threes, minus one, one damage. Steel and Sorcery. This unit has a ward of four up while it's within three inches of within, not wholly within, of a friendly Sorceress unit. In addition, friendly Sorceresses have a four up while they're within three inches of this unit. So, pretty cool. So, considering the Sorceress has a six up base save, I, <laughs> I guess that is a good thing, right? Jeez. Yeah, you kind of need it. They're okay. The models are really cool. Oh. They're on the older side, but yeah. yes, they are very cool. You want to talk about Executioners or Bleak Swords? I would love to talk Executioners. Then go for it, buddy. So this is a unit I think you're going to see a bunch. One wound, six-inch move, four-up save, bravery seven. Their Executioner blade, one-inch range, two attacks, threes by threes, run one, damage two. Champion, plus one attack. Standard bearer, plus one bravery. 
musician, plus one to charge rolls. The rule they have is unmodified hit rolls for an attack made with their executioner's blade is a six. That attack causes two mortal wounds, and the attack sequence ends. So now, uh, this rule and the profile, except for the number of attacks, is almost exactly like Kurnoth's swords. Yep. And the special rule is the same. But you get a bunch of these guys, right? I mean, a pot Yeah, load. so you get 10 of them for 170 points. A base unit is going to be 21 attacks. Mm-hmm. So you can pretty reliably expect to you know, get six or so mortal wounds out of this unit every combat phase. Right? They're on 25, so you can take bigger units and fight in two ranks. Mm-hmm. This is a unit that benefits hugely from the elf order of being able to fight first, because that's where all their mm-hmm. damage is going to come from. They're a little spendy at 170. I think they can stand to see some points come down, but the offensive capability of this unit is pretty intense. Yeah, it's pretty scary looking. There are no Corsairs with oh. the spell on them. No, but... Yeah. All right, then we have Bleak Swords. A six-inch move, one wound, four up save, six bravery, Darkling Sword, one-inch range, two attacks, four by fours, no rend, one damage. It's like yawn after the last one. <laughs> They can have a champion, add one attack. Then Quicksilver Strike. If the unmodified hit roll for an attack made with a Darkling Sword is six, it explodes. Exploding six is ten. Cool. Weight of Dice. No kidding on Weight of Dice, right? Because Bleak Swords come in at 100 points for ten. This is a great screen. Just an awesome unit to throw out in front of. Kind of your meatier, more delicate units that are going to be your actual damage dealers. Okay. Dark Shards. Yep. One wound, six inch move, five up save, bravery six. They have their repeater crossbow, six inch range, two attacks, fours by fours, no run damage one. And their dagger, one inch range, one attack, fours by fives, no run damage one. Champion gets plus one to his repeater crossbow attack. Stand bearer, plus one bravery. Hornblower, plus one charge if you're sending them in for some reason. The storm of iron tip bolts, while this unit has ten or more models, add one to hit rolls for the repeater crossbows. Okay. Kind of a harassment unit. 16-inch range is nice because it's more than the standard 12 for a lot of units. That extra 4 inches can be meaningful, I think. Their movement 6, so that effectively puts it at 22. Mm-hmm. You have the generic order that gives you plus 3 to move, so your real effective range is 25 inches if you really need it to be. Then we have Dread Spears. Finish up with them on the Darkland Coven side. So we have 6-inch move, 1 wound, 4 save, 6 bravery. Champion, Standard Bear, Musician, Standard, all those. And then we have a Darkling Spear, which is 2-inch range, 2 attacks, 4x4s, no rend, 1 damage, and 1 to hit rolls for attacks made by this unit that target an enemy unit that made a charge move in the same turn. Good. It's cool to see that always when Spears do something fun like that, because that's what Spears should do. Order Serpentus stuff is what's yeah, next here. Yeah, yeah. Brendan, what's the first thing we have here? You've got the War Hydra. 12 wounds, 8-inch move, Forp save, bravery 6. It has a fiery breath shooting attack, 9-inch range. Attack's characteristic is equal to the number of models in the unit, up to a maximum of 10. Twos by threes, rend 1, damage 1. Not pretty bad. good. They have the razor-sharp fangs, 3-inch range, 6 attacks, 4s by threes, rend 1, damage 3. And then the goads and whips, 2-inch range, 2 attacks, 4s by 4s, no rend damage, 1. And then it has sever one head, another takes its place. At the end of the combat phase, you can heal up to 5 wounds allocated to this unit. (laughs) The combat Um, phase. This mm -hmm. thing can heal 10 wounds in a battle round. Yeah, they're 180 points. They have no table. It's It's so cool. You you get a monstrous action out of it, which is pretty cool. I think it's interesting. I don't know that the unit is good. I think you can do some stuff with it. Yeah, just I thought about that number of heals, like trogs on steroids, man. This next unit, 
when I saw this, I thought of you, man. It's like, you love chariots. This is scary stuff right here. So we have the Drake Spawn Chariots, man. 10-inch move, 6 wounds, 4-up save, 7 bravery. They have repeater crossbows. Yawn. 18-inch range <laughs> compared to the other rule. 18-inch range, 4 attacks, 4 by 4s, no rend, 1 damage. It's okay. It's cool. Yeah, and then we have the Barb Spear, 2-inch range, 2 attacks, 3 by 4s, minus 1-1. One, one. And then the Jaws for the dragony things pulling the chariot. 6 attacks, though, uh, for that. 3 by 4s, minus 1 and one damage for one inch attack. Now, here's the crazy rule. Side runners. After this unit makes a charge move, pick one enemy unit and roll two dice for each model. So if you have, let's just say, Brendan, three of these things in a unit, you're gonna roll six dice if it's within three inches of a model in an enemy unit. So for each two to four, enemy unit suffers one mortal. For each five up, the enemy unit suffers three mortals, not D3, three mortals. And that sounds like, that's okay. Like on a five up, that's pretty cool. But now we got the tax that is well worth it here. If this enemy unit is within three inches of any Drake spawn knights, add two to each roll. So you're gonna be rolling six dice and on a three up instead of a five up, right? You were going yep. to be doing three mortals. Good and, God, And Brendan. for every one and two you roll, it's, a, it's just a mortal wound. <laughs> Like right, that? your likely average expected result in that case, right, is going to be 14 mortal wounds out of a unit of three. That is insane. My gosh, I, I kept looking like, that's not right. That can't be the rule. But it is the rule. This is an incredible unit to pair the rule where you countercharge in your mm. opponent's phase <laughs> and then trigger the redeploy at the end of the combat phase to retreat oh unit out. Yeah, and it's 270 um, for three of them. That's it. Mm -hmm. That's nothing. And it's 140 for a unit of knights. And we'll, we'll talk about the knights right now because yeah. you said tax, and I don't know that that's a fair categorization of fair. this unit. Okay. I only say that in reference to you have to take it to make these chariots crazy good yes yeah but they're a decent unit in their own right they're two wounds 10 inch move three up save bravery seven their lance is two inch range two attacks threes by fours ren one damage one if they charge their ren two damage two which is mm -hmm. pretty good mm -hmm. the jaws for the drake spawn are one inch range three attacks threes by fours ren one damage one so again good champion gets plus one attack to their lance the standard bearer plus one bravery horn blower adds one to run and charge rolls it's just good, right? You know, when you have a Dreadlord on Black Dragon, you're rerolling charges for Order Serpentis units. Right. I won't say that you can build an Order Serpentis army as the only units you take. Legally, you can. I don't know that you should, but they're a good unit. Even if you don't take the Knights, having a 90-point chariot that on a 2-4 to four does, you know, a mortal wound, and you, mm -hmm. you get two dice at it. And on a 5-up does three. There's so much value in just having that as a 90-point unit to go sure. blow up a screen, go hit a hero, you know, go knock a monster down, you know, a bracket level. Like Well, and, the, you know, we haven't really even talked then, Brendan. You know, when you're saying go knock out a screen, you've got 12 attacks besides the mortal wound impact. You get 12 other attacks. I mean... Yes, in a, in a single one. a single one, chariot, right, yeah. right. But if yeah. you're taking a unit of three, that's 36 attacks other than the mortal wounds. I mean, that's so good. Like, so much output from 270 points of models. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> and just like the gyrocopters, I would split these up into single 
Okay. guards right? right because then you have to add the layer of your opponent now has to split attacks right you mm-hmm. might not get as many impact hits necessarily in a single individual go but mm-hmm. with the size of what the bases are you might struggle with that anyways okay six wounds on a four up save that's gonna take some doing to get sure. through yeah you know absolutely it's not nothing how about that no that's fair yeah and to your point the knights man it, they have a three up save i mean there's it's gonna be 10 wounds to get through on a three up save from a unit of five yeah both these units solid absolutely solid next up the lone non-hero unit in dark riders <laughs> <laughs> Two wounds, 14-inch move, four up save, bravery six. Got their repeater crossbow, 18-inch range, three attacks, fours by fours, no rend damage one. Uh, They've got their spears, two-inch range, two attacks, threes by fours, rend one, damage one. Not bad. Mm -hmm. The horse bites, one-inch range, two attacks, fours by fours, no rend damage one. Champion gets plus one attack to their spear. Stand bear, plus one bravery. Hornblower, plus one to charge rolls. Their shadow raiders. This unit can retreat and still shoot and or charge later in the turn. In addition, you add one to hit rolls for attacks made by this unit if it made a retreat move in the same turn. It's pretty good. Mm -hmm. They have So Terror and Confusion. Roll a dice each time an enemy unit issues a command within 12 inches of any friendly unit with this ability. On a 5-up, that command is not received. It still counts as having been used, and the command point that was spent to issue that command is lost. 12 inches, Brendan, is really good. I mean... They're 150 points, which I think... Puts them in a spot, which is kind of a, a weird mm. value for yeah. them. Yeah, You get 10 wounds on a 4-up save. They make an excellent screen. You know, you can really push them far up board. They're not bad, right? You know, like, I don't think they're automatic, which is where everything should be. Yeah. You can build some interesting tech pieces with it. You know, we said at the front of the show that the elf side of affairs has a lot of really interesting tech, right? You know, mm-hmm. so Shadow Blades has a tech piece, you know. The Order Serpentis stuff has some tech. The Darkling Coven stuff has some good value where you can mm-hmm. take, like, these little support balls and they do this really niche thing and then you get over the Scourge Privateers and the world <laughs> ends. <laughs> it is pretty apocalyptic, man. <laughs> so why don't you talk about this crazy unit, these Corsairs? So totally unassuming on the surface, right? 90 points for 10 of them. Yeah. Cool. No problem. One wound, six inch move, five up save, bravery six. You have to pick between a repeater handbow and vicious blade or pair of vicious blades. You're going to take the pair of vicious blades. Yep. The handbow is nine inch range, two attacks, fours by fours, no rend damage one. And the vicious blade is one inch range, one attack, fours by fours, no rend damage one. The paired vicious blades is three attacks instead of just the one. So when you receive all an attack from your fleet master, it bumps up to four attacks instead of three or versus two so for 180 points you can take a unit of 20 right their battle line if your general is a scourge privateer and candidly don't do that so you're going to take your unit of 20 you're going to have 61 attacks base you're going to issue them all attack yep Yep. they're going to go up to 81 attacks (laughs) that are going to be on threes and fours you know, their standard bearer, plus one bravery, horn blower, mm-hmm. plus one running charge. Fine, 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 fine. If the unmodified hit roll for an attack that targets you is a one, the attacking unit suffers one mortal wound, that's fine. They have to hit you first. Because when you're sitting on 81 attacks on threes and fours, where this is the unit you're going to pick for their attacks, you don't get a save against. Mm-hmm. Right? So you're going to hit with roughly 60 attacks Mm -hmm. you're gonna wound with roughly 30 attacks if you used the strikes first if your opponent decided they were gonna all out defense against that that's fine go for it you have a six up save 
fine. Yeah. Right? Like you're still going to take 24 wounds, which kills pretty much anything. Mm-hmm. You're going to put the spell that makes your save blank. Oh, right. No save. When you're talking about what it takes to invest in something like that, it's 180 points in the unit. It's a Black Arc Fleet Master who is 90 points. Cool, you're at 270 and a wizard, which you're already taking somewhere in the army. So to get this combo to go, you only need 270 points committed to it, mm. right? That is just above 10% of what it is that you're going to be taking in your list. You know, it's approaching 15%. Sure. That's pretty good for having a unit that you're going to look at your opponent and go, cool, you can't do anything. Basically, by doing that, you're telegraphing into your opponent what it is that you're doing, but you're basically saying to them, you must commit resources to prevent this, or I am going to delete anything that this unit touches. Mm-hmm. Very, very cool. And you run the risk of being countercharged, and if you do, they're now rend one, which means that you don't get any save if you screwed this up. Right. Okay, man. We got two more, right? In the last two units. Yeah. We got Charybdis, and we have the Chariots. I'll talk about Charybdis. Because okay. I know you love chariots. Charybdis is this weird octopus kind of weird thing. Whatever it is. It's some weird sea creature. It's 8-inch move, 12 wounds, 4-up save, 10 bravery. Fang tentacles is 3-inch range, 5 attacks, 4 by 3s, minus 1. 3 damage for that. The spike tail is 3-inch range. D6, 3 by 3s, no ren, 1 damage. And then the goads and whips, 2 attacks, 4 by 4s, minus 1, 1 damage. Abyssal howl, the enemy unit cannot receive the Rally and Inspiring Presence command while they're within 12 inches of this unit. So our last unit, the Scourge Runner Chariots. Six wounds, 12-inch move, five-up save, bravery six. They've got Ravager Harpoon, 18-inch range, two attacks, threes by threes, Ren two, damage D3. If the target is a monster, it's damage three instead. They've got the Repeater Crossbows, 18-inch range, four attacks, fours by fours, no Ren, damage one. They have their Hook Spear, two-inch range, two attacks, fours by fours, no Ren, damage one. Vicious Bites, 1-inch range, 4 attacks, 4s by 4s, no rend damage 1. The Champion, if you have two or more models, add one of the attacks characters to the unit's missile weapons, so it's 3 harpoons and f- and 5 crossbows. Okay. Good. And one of the things that's really interesting about these is they're 80 points, so you know, or 240 for 3. All-out attack from the Fleet Master applies in the shooting phase as well. So mm. this would be a time where you'd want to take a unit of 3, to get the maximum benefit out of this, right? So you're sitting there with, to start, seven harpoon shots and 13 crossbows, Mm -hmm. and you would up that to 16 crossbows and 10 harpoons with the all-out attack from the Fleet Master. Mm -hmm. Uh, You can basically contain within a 500-point portion of your army 20 Black Art Corsairs, a Fleet Master, and a unit of three Scourge Runner chariots, which serve as an incredible mobile killing platform, right? When you're looking at 10 shots at 18-inch range, that would be 2s and 3s, Ren 2 damage D3, or damage 3 if you're a monster. That's something I would be very, very, very concerned about as an opponent. That'll deal with a lot. Yeah, you go monster hunting. I mean, that's what that is. That's really cool. Loving that. And for 510 points out of anybody's army, there you go. Yeah. Done. And these, are, these are 12-inch move, too. They're not 10-inch move, like a lot of chariots. That's very good. 30-inch effective range. There's no hiding. That's the units, man. Them's the units. Let's close out by talking about our remaining cities. Yes. And then the tactics and strategies. Sure. So cities. The first one we're going to talk about is Tempest Eye. And this is rapid redeploys, a special rule. Friendly Tempest Eye and allied Karadran overlords sky vessel units 
can retreat and still shoot in the same turn. Okay. Yeah. If you're going to load up that way, yeah, there you go. Thunderers are pretty good. But that's just friendly Tempest I unit. Can retreat and shoot. Solid. And then the next one is Living City. This is what? Hunters of the Hidden Paths? And how does that work? So this is super familiar for anybody who played Living City before. This is one of the rules that you basically had. During deployment, instead of setting up a Living City unit or an allied Sylvaneth unit on the battlefield, you can place it to one side and set it up in the Hidden Paths as a reserve unit. You can set up one unit in the Hidden Paths for each Living City unit you have on the battlefield. Pretty standard. At the end of your movement phase, you can set up one or more reserve units on the battlefield wholly within six inches of the battlefield edge and more than nine inches from all enemy units. Very cool. Next is Greywater Fastness. Yeah, now, good lord. Yeah, um, and there's a special note here, though, something for those who are going to take a Greywater Fastness army, is you cannot ally in Sylvaneth. Sylvaneth are not an ally of Cities of Sigmar if you're taking Greywater Fastness. That's fine. Yeah, right. Uh, I just wanted to note that, though, because most other order stuff can drop in here. So why don't you talk about this crazy thing. So, Greywater Fastness, you can use the odd attack command up to three times in your shooting phase. In addition, the first two times a friendly Greywater Fastness uh. receives the odd attack command in your shooting phase, a command point is not spent. Uh. So, put your rewind hats on, everybody, because we're going to talk about Fusiliers. <laughs> One of the units is going to get odd attack from your general, Evil. and they're going to they're going to be threes by threes, Ren 1, damage 1, ideally doing mortal wounds on sixes to hits, and ruining your opponent's day. The other two units that are going to receive odd attack, or maybe just other one, is going to be threes and fours with sixes to hit, do mortal wounds, and ruin your opponent's day. <laughs> and you can take a third time and spend the command points and just, you know, yank everything that you shot at just completely off the board. What's funny is... This is a clear and obvious build. It's a real, call it negative play experience kind of item. It's not even necessarily, in my mind, the best way to use Fusiliers. Vince and I were having a lovely conversation about, you know, how all that works. And he pointed out to me, Howlheart paired with the Command Corp basically mm -hmm. makes Howlheart of no penalty because you're just going to heal the D3 mortal wounds that you took. Yeah, of course. Yeah, but if you want to go gunline, this is your army. And the next one we have is Settler's Gain. So we add one to casting rolls for friendly Settler's Gain wizards. In addition, each hero phase, not just yours, you see one additional command point. If the model picked to be your general is within three inches of any friendly Lumineth Realm Lords heroes. I really like that. I think that's a cool one. You know, it's instructional in terms of what you want your army to look like and incentivizing bringing the lore-based, you know, friend, right, to your sure. army. Like, Living City and Tempest Eye technically do that as well, but I don't think they provide as big of an incentive as, like, what Settler's Gain is doing here, where, you know, because when you're stuck with allies, it's only 400 points of your army, you know, can fill that. What can you do with 400 points of KO, right? Yeah, you take right. a big brick of Thunders, and you're done with Sylvaneth. 400 right. points. You can bring some dryads and things like that, but the things that you would want to bring, you know, don't have the synergies in Cities of Sigmar. You know, it's just an all-around worse teleport. You don't have the things that can make your dryads good. Mm -hmm. You know, this is just outright useful. Okay. Now, this last one is just dumb. Based yeah, this... on the units we talked about, it's just dumb. It's stupid. At the uh, end of your hero phase, 
You can pick up to three different friendly Misthaven units that are more than 12 inches from all enemy units. Each of those units can make a move of up to D6 inches. If that unit has a mount, it can make a move up to 2D6 instead of D6. <laughs> that units can finish this move within three inches of enemy units. Uh, Hard to do that last bit, right? You know, yeah. you have to be outside of 12. Right. You can't do it with a foot unit because you're not going to be able to roll high enough. And you need to roll at least a nine to be able to get into combat. But I don't know that you necessarily want to do that anyways. But this is a free D6 or 2D6 inch move in the hero phase, yeah. right? With those chariots that we just talked about, yes. right? Impact hits and the shooting ones, right? So you have a 30 inch range, which becomes a 30 inch plus 2D6, <laughs> I guess plus three, if you really wanted to. Nothing is safe. Really, really interesting choice for a city by selecting Misthaven. Yeah, you can do a lot with that, right? You're not just restricted to the elf stuff. You can use that with just uh, oh, a human arm. Right, sure, you can, sure. You can do that with dwarves if you mm-hmm. really wanted to. That's an interesting one. I think you're going to see some people do some really creative stuff with Mistaven. Sure. All I know is I am very, very glad that this book is not dropped yet and will not drop until after Dragonfall. I'm very happy about that. <laughs> oh, is Cities not legal for no, Dragonfall? No, it is not. Brendan, are we ready to talk about strats and tactics? I think so. One of the things I'll say right on the on the front end of it is the tactics really, really, really incentivize you to, to run humans. All right, what are you thinking here for strategies? Banners held high. When the battle ends, each player totals the number of standard bearers and units with the totem keyword in their army that are on the battlefield. If your total is higher, you complete this grand strategy. Mm-hmm. Some armies don't have standard bearers. Mm-hmm. This is as long as you can hide one standard bearer, one totem away, you're, <laughs> you're in good. good shape. You're good, yeah. Exemplar of the Academy Marshal. When the battle ends, you complete this grand strategy. If you complete at least four battle tactics, and every battle tactic you completed was for honor and glory, which is below. I, I think it's doable when we talk about these, depending on the army you take. It's yep. quite doable. Unlike some of the books we've talked about where it's very difficult Oof. to get four, let alone three yes. or two. <laughs> I'll do one or the other. So reclaim for Sigmar. When the battle ends, you complete this grand strategy if there are at least one friendly Cities of Sigmar unit wholly within each large quarter of the battlefield. Okay, you could do that. Especially if you have, you've talked about those fast-moving units that could just jump somewhere and move somewhere and cross that line. What about that last one, hold the high ground? Yeah, when the battle ends, you complete this grand strategy if there are any friendly units within 12 inches of the center of the battlefield and no enemy units within 12 inches of the center of the battlefield. Ooh, good luck, man. Unless you're beating the hell out of somebody. I mean, especially if your enemy knows that's what it is. It's just like, I'm going to scoot this 90-point unit of something within 12. Ooh, you don't get your grand strat. Sorry. Why don't we talk about when we talk about tactics, the two that are specific to the folks we just talked about. So I'm gonna do strike without warning. You complete this battle tactic of three or more friendly cities of Sigmar elf units made a charge move this turn. Yeah, sure. Sign me up. If you've leaned heavy elves, this is a super easy one to grab. Mm-hmm. Then Iron Might, you complete this battle tactic at the end of the turn if three or more friendly Cities of Sigmar Dwarven units fought this turn and no friendly Cities of Sigmar Dwarven units were destroyed this turn. A little tougher to do, mm. but you can definitely, definitely, definitely set it up if you know you get them into the right places. But it also means you have to have at least three Dwarden units. Right, exactly. You have to invest those points, yeah. Okay, next we have Mount the Charge. Pick one objective controlled by your opponent. You complete this tactic, you control that objective at the end of this turn, and every friendly unit that contests it has a mount 
and has made a charge move. You can plan for that. You have to have units that have mounts, of course, but if you do, and you know that's the one you want to go for, it's just a matter of timing, right? Black Powder Bombardment. You complete this battle tactic if three or more enemy units are destroyed in your shooting phase this turn. That's a little tougher to do, mm. but it's not impossible, especially late game. When things are pretty beat up and there's, yeah. Raise the banner. Pick one objective controlled by your opponent. You complete this tactic if you control that objective at the end of this turn. And a friendly free guild command core that includes a Great Herald contests it. That's pretty specific. But I think, based on what we talked about last time, most cities of Sigmar human, especially if, they got, if they're human-leaning, are going to take the command core because of those benefits, I would think. Yeah, it's just keeping the guy alive is all. And then the last one, bring full arms to bear. Pick one enemy unit. You complete this tactic if that unit is destroyed this turn and was suppressed as a result of the suppressing fire order. Like, uh, yeah. What an absolutely telegraphed, full send battle tactic you got there. Like, <laughs> all six of them are doable, right? But not all six of them are doable with the same army. Sure. Which is what you really like. You can probably build your army where three or four are possible, three is probably the safe number, and then that means that you only have to grab two out of the General's Handbook, which should be a piece of cake. You're able to build very strong armies, and you're able to build armies that complete tactics very reliably and have a grand strategy that can be pretty darn near counted on. So I guess that'll bring us to the closing thoughts, Dan. The Cities of Sigmar book overall, not just the Elves and the Dwarden, what are mm. your personal takeaways on this? I love the variety of units in this book. I mean, you can lean heavily into any one of the three factions, quote. And I think that's neat that you can build that way, but I also think it's great that you can very easily build and take pieces and parts from each one and build just a crazy good army. You can take the Fusiliers, but you can also take those crazy chariots, and you can also take the Thunderers or whatever you want to take. And each one of those things is going to serve a purpose, but it's really strong in doing that thing that you're taking it for. My thought is that people will see that and not just take three bricks of Fusiliers, you know, that kind of thing. I, I just don't want to see that cookie cutter, everybody taking the same stupid stuff. I would rather see, because there's so much in here, there's a very rich opportunity here to build neat armies. They can still be stupid good, but at least, you know, they're going to be armies that are going to be interesting to see on the board. Even when you're getting your butt kicked, it's like, oh, that is insanely cool. Oh, what is this thing over here? Oh God, no, not that. I like that about this. I like the function of the cities. Everybody's got sub-factions, but I do like these. And I like, again, that you can focus with each one of these in a very interesting way. And I think some of the sub-factions, they just have these little things that they do when you look at certain armies. These can have a really ginormous effect depending on which one you pick on your overall army, not on just one little thing that your army might do or some effect that it will have. So Yeah, exactly. So I like that as well. I am going to consider taking that pawn effect, though. I'm telling you that, man. When that thing comes out, I could easily strip 150 points off of my list and put her in she's just so so good she needs some points adjustments yeah for sure any of them up <laughs> doesn't matter so yeah those are my 
overall thoughts here. What are you thinking, buddy? Yeah, I think you hit the nail on the head with the diversity that you can put together from an army perspective. You you can go all elves, you can go all dwarves, you can go all humans, and that's totally fine. You can mix and match, you can do some of the other, you can neglect one, you can take the other, you can take the same list but change your city and make some changes that way. You can build a cav army, you can build a gunline army, you can you know build a, a balanced mixed arms forces and make something that is interesting, unique, and compelling. From the competitive perspective, I think they complete swing and miss on what is the out of the gate, you know, kind of approach to what the armies look like in a similar vein to, you know, what happened with Bone Reapers, right? Where Immortus Guard were just so good that you built your army around them and you went, cool, my army starts by taking a unit of six of these and Catacross or Arcan. And Mm -hmm. that's where the army starts. There's nearly a thousand points down the drain, but it's the backbone for an army that's going to win you a lot of games. I think the building blocks for this army is basically going to be unit of Steel Helms, unit of 30 Fusiliers, Warforge Alchemist, mm-hmm. and that's your starting point. And then you build your army out from there because a unit of 30 with the Warforge Alchemist being able to, you know, just mulch whatever they touch. And you don't even need necessarily like the extra range because you have the, the order that, that gives it to them. Like that unit is just so gosh darn silly. It's crazy, right? You know, oh, sorry, the other starting point is the Pontifex, mm-hmm. right? Because then you're sitting on your four up, five up ward, and as long as you can roll three ups, you're good. Yep. That's such a bummer, right? Like, I really hate seeing books come out in that state because then everyone's just waiting for the first pass at points adjustments, yeah. which is really when the list building for the army genuinely, genuinely, genuinely starts because, okay, cool, like, you have to make a consideration now. You have to think about something other than the one unit that you were building the army around. So, mm-hmm. you know, from that perspective, I'm disappointed. I think cities will be very competitive. I think once we get past the Fusilier part of it, you're going to see lots and lots and lots of different kind of armies do very well. I don't know that there's a bad city. I just think that there's some cities that are less good than others. Yeah, what you're getting in value from, like, say, a living city doesn't compare to, you know, like, something that you can get even from just, like, Hammerhall Akshi. You can get extra orders built in, right? Mm. You know, being able to put things on the edge of the board, like you just take a fast unit. There's tons of units that are just super fast. Just do that. You know, bummed on the units that some people lost, but that's the way of some old armies. And I'm looking forward to wave two of the models that will eventually come out from the Cities of Sigmar line remake. Hopefully dwarves and humans. (laughs) Okay. Dwarves and elves. Get some of those models refreshed. All right, man. Then that is it for our review of Cities of Sigmar, and we hope this was useful. With that, as always, we're going to move on to Scriptorium. Etc. 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 So we're back with Scriptorium, and we have a couple of new releases and another book that's coming out in a week that I'm very excited about. So the first one is Yndrasta, the Celestial Spear. You know that really cool giant winged. Stormcast character. It's a book about her. Sounds pretty interesting, and I'm sure if you're interested in Stormcast or her character in particular, that would be a good book. The next one that is coming out is Creed Ashes of Cadia. Now, before all you Lord Castling Creed individuals get excited, this is about his daughter who has become the Lord Castlin in his place through political machinations and other things. My call on this book and because I know nothing about this book other than what I read in the synopsis, is this is going to be some kind of a weird opening for Cadia to get 
either reborn, you know, what's left of the planet, or for there to be another Cadia somewhere where they're going to restart the Cadians and stuff. That's what I kind of think the storyline's going to be. So we'll see. The only thing I ask for from these guys is, if you're going to give the Cadians planets, please give Gaunt's Ghosts a planet. You know, the Tanith first, they need a planet too. So just make sure you include them in this is my, is my only comment as this series continues. The other book that's coming out, I believe they said on the 14th, is called Gene Father. And this is kind of a face-off between Belisarius Call and Fabius Bile. And that sounds just fascinating. Really neat story that's going to be. So that's the new stuff coming up. How about yourself? So I finished my biography on Leonardo da Vinci. Mm -hmm. I really enjoyed it. It was really interesting. You know, at a certain level, you're familiar with kind of the scale, right, of his works. Mm -hmm. And what I thought was so interesting was how many of those works occurred simultaneously in very brief periods of time that were interspersed with lots of periods of him just kind of doing whatever, for lack of a better term. You know, he just wasn't interested in anything, so he, you know, just went and did something else. You know, like, some of these masterworks all occur simultaneously, which feels mm -hmm. cruel, right? You know, for, you know, many, many people will never create anything that is equal to any one of, right, his great works. And, you know, he just did all four of them all at the same time. Yeah. You know, they just happened to be when he was interested in doing all four of them at the same time, you know. And I started a, I didn't realize it at the time when I downloaded it, 48-hour biography Ooh. on Ulysses S. Grant. Ooh, cool. Um, so cool. I could listen to that book for two days nonstop. Oh, wow. <laughs> I'm going to do that. And then in terms of watches, there's a show on Hulu called Crabopolis or something like that. Mm, okay. It's in the vein of like The Simpsons and Futurama and Disenchanted. Oh, where sure. It's animated. You know, it's people with goofy voices, but it's based <laughs> in like a pseudo Greek society, that kind of thing. Sure. Yeah. So, you know, so there is the presence of some Greek mythology and that kind That's of stuff. Funny. And it, it's funny. It's silly. You know, it's. It's entertaining. I, exactly. That's what I got. I'm continuing to read, and I'm like two-thirds of the way through, the MacArthur Reconsidered book. And I just have to take a break, because this guy is just ticking me off so bad. <laughs> like, he was just the most horrid person. People just don't understand what he was like and how manipulative he was, and how egotist his ego was just insane. Brendan, this gives you some context. He thought that recapturing the Philippines, which was his obsession, was more important than defeating the Nazis in Europe. How sick do you have to be to think about that? Or how just totally, you know, oblivious do you have to be? The other thing that really has come out in this part of the book that I'm reading is how manipulative he was with his contacts in Washington and with the press. There was, uh, in New Guinea, when he was fighting there, he had to replace a general. And the new general that came in was incredibly successful, fortunately. And MacArthur wanted to make sure that he got a part of that success because he was never on the front line. And this guy was like right up with the troops. The troops loved this guy and he made a huge impact on their health and their morale and everything. So MacArthur had a picture taken with this general and the caption on the picture was MacArthur with General Eichenberg at the front. 
Well, you know what the amazing thing is about that picture? It wasn't taken on the front. It was taken in Australia when the two of them were there for a conference. And the only reason they found out, Brendan, was this picture got published in newspapers that the GIs were reading. And so this soldier wrote in, he said, you know, the last time I checked, there's no automobiles at the front line like the ones in the picture. <laughs> it's just like, hey, oh my God. This guy started getting, because of the you know, his success, he started getting more time with the press and they were asking him a lot of questions. Well, MacArthur got so insanely jealous that he literally called this general in and he said, if you do not stop talking to the press, I am not only going to demote you, I am going to relieve you of your command. Jesus. Like... Oh my God. So anyway. It yeah, just, the petty ego of something it, like that. And he actually, the reason that Roosevelt and others didn't reprimand him for a lot of this stuff they knew he was doing was they were so afraid that he was going to run as a Republican against Roosevelt in 44. And they didn't want that to happen. Interesting stuff. And so I have to take a break and I'm going to find another book to read. I may go back to my uh, <laughs> witch hunter book or something. I just, just make me crazy. So I finished listening to Fear to Shred, which is the Blood Angels uh, book in the heresy. It's essential heresy reading. And certainly there's stuff in the story that carries over not only to later in the heresy during the siege, but post-heresy and in 40K. So I would recommend it to people if you're interested at all in Blood Angels. I finished Hunt for Valdorius. Great 40K story. There was this scene, Brendan, where the white scars on bikes had done this charge. You know, it's kind of like the charge they did during the siege, right? But they were on bikes now. They had lances and it just was... I'm thinking, my God, this is the year 40,000. And they just smashed into these Alpha Legion guys and these cultists and stuff. And it was just such a cool, cool battle scene. Really, really neat. My Expanse... I don't know if it's a binge or not a binge, really, because I'm just watching it when I work out. But that continues. I continue to enjoy it, even though I've seen the whole thing before. I'd forgotten a lot of stuff or a lot of characters. I'm remembering them as they're coming back into the story, and it's really, really enjoyable. I saw Equalizer 3, which is that Denzel Washington movie. Oh, and yeah. This is the third one of the series, and it was really solid closure for his story. It was really neat. There was a surprise ending, kind of. I would say that if you haven't seen the first two movies, this one will be a little confusing because of some of the things they talk about. So I would definitely recommend that. If you haven't seen those movies and you like Man on Fire, then you probably will like Equalizer because it's the same kind of character for him. But I really enjoyed it. And then tonight, my movie friend Mike and I are going to see The Creator. I don't know what to expect from that. Oh, yeah. But it looks so interesting. It does. And we're really looking forward to seeing what they do for listeners. For those of you who don't know, the creator is kind of a an AI question type of a movie. You know, or is artificial intelligence sentient? It's very much like Blade Runners and Replicants, you know, that kind of a thing. We'll see. And I'll certainly report out on that next time. And that is it for Scriptorium. Let us move on to some questions. Hey, buddy, who is kicking us off? I'll get started. Okay. And most of my questions have nothing to do with what we've talked about. Okay. Oh, my gosh, no. So the first one I'm going to say is if you had to build an army that was exclusive, humans, elves, or dwarves, which one of the three are you building towards? Elves. Okay. 
Yeah, I lots we, of chariots. I just oh all, god, all chariots. Hydras, you know, just go ahead, do the ten wounds and heal them back. And it, like I said, it's like an, like have three of those and be like an army of super trogs. It'd be so fun. Yeah, there's just so much fun stuff in there that could really be crazy. It would be elves. You and I have been traveling a bunch. I just got back from yeah. Alaska mm-hmm. not all that long ago. What is one of your bucket list travel destinations, Dan, now that you and Cindy have the time to go see and do those? I think getting to a national park, like a good-sized national park, is on the bucket list uh, because we've gone to several, several, it's like five or six state parks here in Wisconsin since we got our RV. And we've had good time, you know, it was, we're living outside for a week, you know, and it's it's so different, so cool. I would just say a national park. I know we're seriously considering going to the Badlands out in South Dakota is our first national park next spring. But I don't know if there's any specific one that I would like to go to more than at this point, like Yosemite or something else that I haven't been to before. That would be it. We talked about this in the scriptorium segments. Obviously, you're talking about Leonardo, and you have some strong feelings on great masters, as it Mm. were. In your mind, Dan, who is the greatest great master of you know, the arts and sciences. Mm. Just a few people to pick from. So, you know. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. I don't want to spoil one of my questions, so I won't give the answer that I was going to give. I mentioned Mozart. Not just the popular stuff, but other things he did that people really don't know about him. So I really was just fascinated by the fact that a single individual could create this stuff. And then when you hear an orchestra play a piece of classical music, you're going, all this stuff was going on in this person's head. And they wrote down the music for like 30 different instruments or something. You go, how is that even possible? What is a mind like that? How does that work? So he would be one that I would, I would say that Newton would be a very close second because of all the different things that he did. Next up, there are four armies in the Dawnbringer book. There's a special big pig army, there's a special Mm -hmm. broad army, there's a special trug army, and there's a special KO army. Of the four, which are you most excited to talk about on our next show? Hands down, trugs. Yeah? Oh, man. It's just so much fun. As I'm reading through the book going, oh, yeah, this is horrible. (laughs) Like, really, you needed to come out with this now. Well, I'm trying to put together a Blades of Corn list, right? And I'm trying to put together a corn army. And you come out with a troll thing like this. I just don't need this, man. <laughs> yeah, King, Trog, King of Trugs. It's so cool. And the things it can do, and it really motivates to think about even a thousand point Trog army would be so fun. That's that answer. Okay. And then last, Dan, baseball playoff time. Yeah, sure. Is effectively here. I'm ready. Who are your World Series teams and who wins it? Mm. Now that I think that the Brewers looks like they're going to end up playing the Diamondbacks, which is going to be a really tough three games for them. Two out of three for them because they've had a lot of trouble this year with the Diamondbacks. But let us assume that the Brewers get past the D-backs and they make it to the next level in the playoffs. There is no way in the National League that anybody is competing with Atlanta. There's not even anybody close. You could argue the Dodgers, but they've been real skiddy, like up and down the last six Mm. weeks or so. And everybody knows who knows baseball, you have to have momentum going into the playoffs. I just think in the National League, Atlanta is almost untouchable. In the American League, I think the Orioles have a really good shot at getting to the pennant. You know, people would argue like the Rays or something, but no. I just think the Orioles have done, again, they have that momentum going in. So I would pick Atlanta and the Orioles, and then I would pick Atlanta over them. Okay. 
they're just scary watching them play. That's my picks. So I've got a few Sigmar questions here. So the first one is cities. It is Hydras or Trogs? Ooh. Hydras are interesting, but the advantage that the Trogs have is all of the support that comes along you know, with it, right? You know, they get all of the healing, if, especially if you take Glog's Mega Mob, you have that double round of healing. You're much better suited to building an army around Trogs than you are Hydras. Hydras are fun. Hydras are interesting. Yes. But yes. Okay. If you were going to make a Sylvaneth list, okay, and you had to invest around 400 points, give or take, would you take Durthu or would you take six Kurnoth Hunters with bows? Dan, you and I had a conversation at the yes. start of the show where you really talked about your frustration with Durthu. Yes. And you have finally come around to the place that all Sylvaneth players eventually land at, yeah. which is deep, unerring frustration <laughs> with Durthu. <laughs> I have been wronged so many times by that model yeah. while playing it in different editions, right? So one of our first practice games you know, that you were playing with, Durthu, I left and I called Tyler and I said, Tyler, I've never seen this before. Dan is so reliable with his Durthu. The swings aren't too great. Like, you know, like he must be the only person who never gets, you know, swingy Durthu. And then you finally have. And for that reason, I'm going with bows because at least if I'm going to be disappointed, I would rather be disappointed on a larger quantity of attacks. Yes. That's so funny. Yeah, yeah. The next question is human shooting or killy chariots? Human shooting. Okay. The fusiliers are just too good right now. Okay. Do you think we need to make a rules adjustment or a points adjustment to bring them into line? I think you can start with points. Going with rules adjustments, I don't know is necessary at this point. I'd want to see the armies first, but so many of the overlapping bubbles that you get that are basically just free is just too much. Okay. Speaking of great masters, Da Vinci or Galileo? So I have an opinion on, we'll call it like, you know, the the great masters, is that the scientific ones, those discoveries were always going to be made at some point by Mm. a motivated individual. Mm. They certainly deserve the credit, right, for being the ones that discover it because the scientific discoveries are of fixed and observed nature, and all you're going to have to do is be one of these very clever, very driven people, and the light switches, right? Mm. The artistic masters, I think, are the ones who, without them, many of those works would never have existed. Mm-hmm. You know, someone uh, someone uh, may have asked to you know have uh, X painting of Y religious scene and gotten Z product. You know, certainly in an infinite number of universes, you would have a person you know who would come along and do the same thing. Mm-hmm. But that's what that requires. It re- is it requires an infinite number of universes. Otherwise, you are unlikely to have that unique person with that unique perspective to make that unique painting in that unique way, where they are standalone, unique items. And I think that is much more difficult to do from a perspective of human population, right? You know, the impact of Galileo is not to be lost. And some of the things that da Vinci did, you know, in terms of understanding perspective and some of the ways some of the ways of painting that he developed likely would have been developed at some point, but the mm-hmm. things that they did with it are unlikely to have been replicated sure. at any points okay. by anybody. The last one is a sports question, because I can't not ask you a sports question. Sure. I mean, come on. So it's 
beginning of the NBA season here shortly. The Milwaukee Bucks have a new coach, and you are no longer in the center of mass of Milwaukee. No. So you're a little bit further away. My question would be, and again, listeners know that I know very little, if anything, about the NBA in terms of knowing what's coming up in the season or anything else. So I'm asking this blind. Bucks or Celtics, who will be more successful this year? Give me the Bucks. They just traded for Damian Lillard. They had to give up Drew Holiday, who ended up with the Celtics. But in getting Dame the Bucks for probably the first time while having Giannis have a legitimate opportunity at being a top five offense in the NBA. They're worse defensively for having given up Drew, but that's been the thing that has failed them in the playoffs is their ability to score. And Damian Lillard has single-handedly brought the Trailblazers to the Western Conference Finals before, putting up 50-point game after 50-point game after (laughs) 50-point game by himself. To have those two kinds of players together... I'm really excited to watch that just because of how different the players are and the kind of offense that you can run with the two of them together and separate. There are going to be some teams who can't do anything about it, and that's going to be really terrifying to watch. Okay, that's it. That's my five, boss. All right. Okay, let's move it on. Show closed time. There is something going on around here, something you may not even know about. Sunday announcements. I think we have some stuff. We do. Warcry. New kit coming out. The Ogres getting their team of Gorgers. Oh, yeah. I saw that. It looks so uh, cool. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, that's the big exciting part of it, right? Is that new terrain, two new kits. You've got the Gorgers. You have the, uh, I believe it's the humans that go along with them. You've got a bunch of Underworlds warbands that are Mm -hmm. coming out in gray plastic that you can buy without the cards. Because Underworlds is getting a new season, isn't it? Yeah, so it's getting a new starter pack as well. The old Underworlds teams are getting just in plastic. There's a new Underworlds kit, which is, you know, a new set of boards, a new set of cards, two new teams that hadn't been there before, a Deepkin and a Slanesh team. Okay. You have those. Old Underworlds teams are up for grab. And then there's some other Warcry Warbands that are going to be up for sale as well. So if you love Warcry and you love Underworlds, this is your Saturday for pre-orders. And I think they're doing it that way because the 40K Space Marine pre-order was a two-week pre-order, I believe. You got to get everybody's money all the time. Of course. (laughs) Do you have any Q&A? I did not know. Okay. I just had one quick question somebody asked. This is Tim. He was interested in the fact that I was building a Blaze of Corn army. And he said I had talked about, but he wanted to know if I was sure I was going to take skull cannons in my list. My answer is yes. I really would like to take a couple of skull cannons because I think they're a really cool utility unit. They can do a lot of fun things to people. They can really frustrate people. So yeah, I think I'm going to take skull cannons. That is a done deal. Episode 131, we have decided that we are going to do a couple of things. We're going to talk about the new Dawnbringers book with the Trog on the cover. Reign of the Brute, I think is the name of it. But we are not going to talk about the lore very much. We're going to defer that to our friend at 2 Plus Tough, Doug. He did a whole series, I think five or six episodes at least, on this book. But we're going to talk about the rules for the new Dawnbringers book. And we are also going to talk about the new Auric Supplement that came out as well. So we'll talk about rules for both of those things. Easy enough. 
All right. Well, welcome back. Glad you had such a wonderful trip. Well, I mean, you too. We still got one more to go before we pack it in for the winter. So we're going to head really far north. We're actually heading up to Lake Superior. I've never been up to that part of the state before. Thank you again, buddy, for coming on board and uh, helping out with all this foolishness. Other than that, listeners, as always, thank you. Otherwise, everybody stay safe, stay healthy, and don't forget shenanigans because life is better when you're up to something. This is